0: we uh continue in in the book of Acts you know I I've talked to uh and I, I' imagine myself I mean I've talked to itinerant ministers before and and I did quite a bit of travel to Brazil over the years and you know it's just not the you know, one thing that's just not a lot of fun is is flying and airports <laughs> and the, the travel time it's just it's just not that fun and yet you know, I think we really do, in the sense of how draining it is and tiring it is, we really do have it made versus, uh, you know, the, the boats of the day back in those days. And so by sea and by foot, sometimes by, by mule and by horse, but with the disciples primarily by sea and by foot, I mean, it was like, had to be exhausting. You know, had to be a tremendous amount of work and commitment to be able to go from you know from town to town like they did. And so, when we come to uh, chapter 17, we're going to start in, in verses one through four, and um, this is the uh, the apostle Paul, of of course, his his missionary trips is is the pat is the. Is the the section that we're in in the book of Acts. When they had passed through uh, these two towns, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a a few prominent women. And so whenever Paul and his company went into a new area, a new region, a new city, uh, they would first go to the local synagogue in order to give his, Paul's fellow Jews, an opportunity to recognize Jesus as the Messiah Uh, which is what he means by, that's what the Christ means, Messiah, and based upon, you know, since Paul was once a Pharisee, a religious leader of high stature, prior to his conversion, he thoroughly knew the Old Testament, and so he was able to prove, it says, that the Messiah had to suffer and die, most of which has to come out of Isaiah, and then rise from the dead, and We know that this was Paul's primary message. He wrote to the church at Philippi, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And to the Corinthians, he wrote, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he said this to the ones in Corinth also, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Did you know that's how significant the resurrection of Jesus is? Is it okay if I talk about the resurrection and it's not Easter? Is that okay? Okay, good. Uh, Christian faith stands or falls on the fact of the resurrection. And so if Christ Jesus was not resurrected in bodily form, then everything he said was not true and everything that we believe is wrong. Um, However, if he did raise himself from the dead and then everything he said is true, and then every man and woman will be judged according to what he said. And so that's how significant it is, the resurrection. That's why there's been so many that have gone out to disprove. You've read those stories maybe, the ones that have gone out to disprove, disprove the resurrection of Jesus, um, to cast doubt on the validity of the resurrection, uh, only to uh, uh, discover Jesus in the process. One of those was uh, Frank Morrison. I don't know how many have read uh, Who Moved the Stone? Mm, Zero. Okay, great. You want to read a good book on the resurrection? There are some good ones I've read over the years, Um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh, uh, whatever his name is, Uh, McDowell. Um, Well, that's quite a work, No, no question. Frank Morrison is a much smaller book. Uh, actually quite, quite good. And the thing is, he went out to prove the resurrection was a myth. That was his goal. And uh, and he was a journalist, and so he was a, had an investigative journey, and he became a believer in Jesus in the process and wrote this amazing book. <laughs> so we really should use um, the resurrection of Jesus is an integral part of our message whenever we share our faith with, with other people. They did it in the early church, and it wasn't simply, yeah, I mean, the resurrection was fresh. I mean, we're really within a few years here. Uh, maybe, maybe by this time, maybe six, seven years, I don't know. Nobody knows. But anyway, it was still fresh. At the same time, it was, they knew no matter how distant or how close it was, that resurrection, they knew that it was a key event of their faith. And even though we're 2,000 years removed from it, it still is, you know, it still is the uh, most significant event in the history of mankind, the resurrection of Jesus, um, and of course, his, the, the death prior to that, which has forgiven us of, of our sins. And so it means that everybody really needs to come to terms with this at some point. Because we of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, there's no middle ground. You see, there's no gray; it's black or white. It's you accept the resurrection or you don't, meaning you accept what Jesus has said, and or you don't. Verse nine, five. But the Jews were jealous. That's a typical response of the religious in in those days, It's still today. Just je- with a lot of people, you know, people gain attention. Keep pe- people. Um, are popular, and other people get jealous, don't they? So that's what's going on. So they rounded up some of the bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Sounds like today's political situation, doesn't it? Let's <laughs> Hire a mob and start a riot. Uh, they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers uh, before the city officials shouting these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here and jason has welcomed them into his house they are all defying caesar's decree saying there is another king one called jesus when they heard this the crowd and the uh <clears throat> city officials were thrown into a turmoil that they made jason and the others uh, post bond and let them go and so all of the stuff that was going on was fake news okay <laughs> that's what's happening here. And I, li- I like the way the King James Version translates what these accusers said of Paul and Silas. Do you see where we read, um, what did we just read? We read that, that they have caused trouble all over the world. King James says, these are they who have turned the world upside down. I like it. Because that's what Jesus did, didn't he? He turned his world upside down. Early disciples turned their world upside down, and every generation is called to turn their world upside down. Some have, some haven't over the course of these last 2,000 plus years. But if we don't powerfully affect the the world, the world affects or often infects us. And part of the church today, I think, has been infected with the spirit of this age, And so we should do everything in our power to destroy that infection. And the only antibiotic is the powerful, radical, uncompromising message of the cross, accompanied with the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Isn't that a great verse? I talked to was it I I think I talked to Brand. My son and daughter are here from Brazil, by the way. Um yeah, for a month. So I, I think yeah, I was talking to you about that yesterday just yesterday. I didn't even know this was in today's message, but we were talking about the gospel and we were talking about um there was um a pastor down in Orange County that shared this um a few years ago with me that I thought it was brilliant. And and he's a uh, picture picture um the ministry, or, or yeah, I guess the ministry, or the kingdom, or whatever. Well, I can't remember the exact language. As a city, and so you've got Main Street, and you've got Oak Street, and Park Street, and First Street, and Second Street, and all these kind of things. Park Street maybe is the uh, is intercession, and Oak Street is is prophetic, and over here is you know feeding the poor, and over here is evangelism, and you know this street is that. Main Street is the gospel of Jesus. And a lot of because of of people, you know when people give themselves to the ministry, that's everything? They think that's, that's Main Street, right? And churches are formed on this. And so you have a prophetic church or an intercessory church or an evangelistic church. And all those things are okay. But Main Street is Main Street. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the other ones flow out of Main Street, and they intersect with Main Street, and they come back, and they're always going in and out of Main Street, the gospel of Jesus. And so um, it's very important that we keep that in mind as far as the gospel being the good news of Jesus, that he died so we can experience, free, uh, exp- uh, experience forgiveness of sin, and then his resurrection grants us eternal life. And so it's that thing of, of God stepping down to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Separated with God forever, where he says, you know, I'm the only, way, I'm the only one that can do this. You guys have been failing over and over. Thousands, you can't do it. And so I'm going to have to do it for you and step in and provide a way back to me. And that's the way it works. That's the power of the gospel, you see. That's the gospel of Jesus. And all the other streets are valid streets. They're going to take us places. But they got to flow out and they got to flow back in to the gospel of Jesus. Because that is the power that will destroy the infection of the world's influence and turn the world upside down. It's all, the gospel of Jesus is what does it. And the power of God for the salvation of souls, all, souls always will be the power, uncompromising message of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That's pretty significant. I am the resurrection and the life. It means I'm the one who conquered sin and death. I'm the resurrection. I did this. And in so doing, and it's before his death and resurrection he said that. He knew who he was. And, and, then, and, and by doing so, I'm going to grant all who call upon my name to life in this age and life in the age, of, age to come. That's the message that we're called to bring. As soon as it was night, verse 10 and 12, 10 to 12, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed as also did a prominent Greek women and many Greek men." Nobility is noble character. Webster defines it as noble uh, qualities. So when the Bible here says noble character, um, it's going to it really defines in context here what noble character is. The noble character is those that receive the message of the kingdom with eagerness, number one. So there's this eagerness to receive from the Lord. But number two, it's examine the scriptures to verify the truth of what you're hearing. Even, we're talking about the Apostle Paul here. Examine the Scriptures. Make sure we're hearing. This is nobility, the, a noble person, a noble character. And it's a great example of the spoken word being confirmed by the written word, that we can receive the spoken word, the revelatory word, in other words, with eagerness, but we have to allow the authority of the written word to confirm that which we hear. And that's important in... Uh, well, it's just, it's a protection for us because God has given us his word and uh, in order to provide, provide uh, confirmation for, well, in order to do a lot of things, but also to provide confirmation for a lot of the things that we hear. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think, I don't think it was last week, maybe maybe it was, I don't remember, but anyway, when I talked about it, experiencing uh, the Lord and, and truth, and oftentimes um, we... Uh, some, some people are so focused on, we, we only w- want to believe what's in this book, and so if they haven't experienced it, then they don't see it in the book. So they take the book first, they take the book and they read these things, that I haven't experienced, therefore it's not real. And a lot of times um, we experience things and then God shows us in Scripture uh, the veracity of it, the truth of it. The same thing is what I'm saying with speaking things. When, thi- when, you, when we hear words, when we hear things being spoken, we want to make sure that it confer- conforms to exactly what is in Scripture. However, we always want to be open to experiences, the voice of the Lord, the way He communicates. We don't want to uh, be closed minded to the, the ways and the will of, of the Lord to move. God is creative. Um, I get kind of cer- concerned when in certain, uh, certain seasons you'll see the same kind of things over and over and over again for months. Let's say the same manifestations. I don't think concern in a – maybe I just kind of look at it a little bit different because the, the Lord I'm used to in moves of, of significant moves of God, he moves in ways that I've, I've never seen before. He moves through people that I can't imagine him using. And he does it in ways that I just... It baffles me. But then when it goes on for two years with the same manifesto, the same stuff, the same thing, I, wait a minute. Uh, Because I I see the Holy Spirit always doing things differently in new ways, in unique ways. And it's kind of like... some of you heard, heard, heard of Lonnie Frisbee that back in the Jesus movement, influencer, great influencer of the whole Jesus movement, Calvary Chapel, Vineyard, all that. And, you know, he said God comes, the Holy Spirit comes, and he, 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 he comes and he does his work in people's lives, and then people put methods to it. And as soon as there are methods to it, in other words, oh, now we can do it, or, oh, this is the way it's done, the Holy Spirit leaves. Because it grieves him. Because he wants to stay in charge. He wants to stay leading and guiding and directing, like Jesus said he would. And as soon as we put our hands on things and start taking over, he he's grieved by that. He wants to continue to. We sang, Holy Spirit come. What are we asking when Holy Spirit come? With your presence, yes. What else? Direction, guidance, leading. We can't do this. You know. As soon as we think we can do it, look out. (laughs) We're in trouble. I don't even know where I'm at. Oh, yeah, verse 13. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join them as soon as possible. I've always wanted to go to Athens. Anybody ever been there? Don't you want to go? I'm just wondering. Not, not nowadays. Not nowadays. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So because Paul brought this uncompromising message, and because it was uncompromising, wherever Paul went, there was either revival or a riot and oftentimes both, as we see. And whenever God moves in power, the enemy steps in to destroy the work, and that's never changed. You know, some people, I don't know, maybe you've heard, some people claim that they'll will claim that a certain spiritual activity is not from God since there's confusion or spiritual warfare or disunity. Have you ever heard that? Oh, that can't be God. There's too much confusion going on. Oh no, that can't be God because you know, but, you, you know, every move of God I read about here in the book of Acts, there's always there's either confusion, spiritual warfare, disunity, there's something going on, you know, that's happening here. And I think we're living in an illusion if we think that there can be a significant move of God without opposition. Uh, you know, and, I mean, if if we're doing kingdom things, there'll always be they will always be opposed by the enemy of the kingdom. Always. And what does he do? He creates doubt, confusion, fear is a huge one. Oh, I've never seen that before. i never seen, uh, well, God doesn't do that kind of stuff. I don't see that in Scripture. You know, it's fear based, it's ig- uh, ignorance based too. But there's a lot of the stuff that the enemy starts playing with. Uh, besides spiritual warfare, it creates disunity oftentimes. Wait, Moves of God create disunity? No. The reactions of people <laughs> to the moves of God create disunity at times. And so we want to be uh, ever open to... We're always crying out for the... We, not always, but we're asking God to move among us. We want God to move. We want revival. We want people saved. We want people delivered. All these kinds of stuff. So let's remain open to th- when He comes. Because He does not come, typically... The way we expect. Okay. Verses 16 to 21. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, with the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? No, he said... Paul was just called a babbler. (laughs) Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus and where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And this is because this was considered, a, a, Athens, a very prestigious city of the world, and uh, they had the highest level of culture in the areas of literature and oratory. So they, they had the writers, the authors, the the speakers. They off, op- occupied the highest place of Philosophy, because they, they were the native city of, city of Socrates, of Plato, and they were the adopted home of Aristotle. So very, very renowned city. And Luke writes about two philosophical groups in Athens, Epicureans and Stoics. Epicureans believed pleasure was the chief end in life. And so they believed you wanted to have pleasure that was free of pain, you wanted to have a ple- pleasure uh, uh, that was free of any kind of undesired passions and any kind of fear, superstitious fears. They did not deny the existence of gods, but they believed, the Epicureans, that, 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 that the gods had very little, if any, interest in people on earth. So they thought, yeah, maybe they exist, whatever but they're not interested in the, in the affairs of, of, of men. And so pleasure was what life was all about. The, the Stoics, on the other hand, were pantheistic, uh, stressing God was in all and through all, and they attempted to live within, within nature, within the unity of nature, and they emphasizes our, emphasized independence in man, self-sufficiency, those kind of things. So they were two philosophical groups that differed, but, they, but what they agreed about here was that this man, this Jew from Tarsus, uh, they agreed about what he was talking about in the sense that, that they, he was not very appealing to these well-educated, reasonable people. Uh, the word babbler that I mentioned to you that they used of him, it's used of a, a bird picking up scraps in the gutter. So that's the Greek meaning of the word. A bird picking up scraps in the gutter, that's the derogatory use word they used of Paul's teaching. Not very nice. Verses 22 to 23. Paul then stood up after being called a babbler. He doesn't care. He stands up in the, in, in the meeting and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, this is tactful. He's just been... Told you, you know, you're you're nobody to us. You're not even very smart. He he says you're very religious. I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, and I found an altar with this ascription to an unknown god. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. So, Paul is not suggesting that you guys you're worshiping this unknown god, and and and. Um, and you're unconsciously worshiping the true God. He's not saying that because they were pagans. He's letting them know that the God that he's about to reveal is responsible for everything that you've attributed to unknown, to this unknown God. The God that I'm about to reveal to you is responsible. So it's Paul's way of raising the question, who is God to these people? And he tells them, verse 24 to 28, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should uh, live, like Atascadero, Paso, Templeton, you know, those kind of places. God did, Brazil, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him or for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live. And oh, I love that line. And move. And you're my everything. we sang saying that. This is it. For in him we live and move and have our being because you're our everything. At some and as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul is teaching that we're one in origin in the sense that God has created us all. We've descended from one person, okay? We're all in the same blood, physical line in that sense, ancestry. And this creator has placed us, located us where, exactly where he wanted us to be so that we would seek him and reach out for him and find him. And their original language, when Paul talks about that, re- seek him, reach out to him, and find the original language paints a picture of of a person groping about in darkness, trying to, you know, when you, you you can't see your hand in front of your face, you're groping about, you're trying to find something. And so apart from Jesus, who is the light of the world, this is our state. Apart from knowing him, we were groping about in darkness, we're trying to reach out to truth, we're trying to Find our Creator. That's the way, that's the mental picture here, the word picture. But once a person is reaching out, you know, groping about in darkness, they will find him. Since Paul says he's not very far from us, you know. It's not like you he gotta, he's right there. Just keep seeking. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered and others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. And so, once Paul starts zeroing in here on, on salvation, they kind of, there's some of them that turned against him. You know, they were you know, not buying this stuff. But, but, uh, you know the the because he's talking about repentance he's with you know repentance requires sin that's a concept these philosophers would not have accepted and so he mentions judgment that implies moral responsibility again that's something they would have frowned upon and then Paul speaks of a resurrection well that was way off the charts for them as far as their concepts of death and immorali- uh, uh, immortality and so However strongly these philosophers rejected the message, the message is still true. There's three parts to the truth of what Paul brings here. Number one, God overlooked man's ignorance in the past, and that's in the context of you know, making idols and all that kind of stuff. Um, but now <clears throat> he doesn't overlook anything because of the death of res- and resurrection of Jesus. Once Jesus paid the price, now God commands repentance from sin so that you can receive forgiveness and be joined to Jesus as his bride. That's the first point. The second one is that Jesus, uh, God will judge the earth when King Jesus returns. And the third one is um, that the proof of all of this is the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so that was Paul's message, you see, this kind of a three-point teaching. And it really is still ours. (coughs) And... um, and though some may reject the truth, it doesn't ne- negate the truth, their rejection. And here at Athens, it, there's many people, it says, that chose not to believe, but there were a few, right? There's a few that accepted, became followers of Jesus, and that, since Paul was successful, there was significant spiritual warfare here at Athens. And Paul was successful against some of the wisest minds in that, in that day, in that culture, if you consider who he was coming against. You know your average Joe would would probably not get very far with these kind of people, but Paul was not only brilliant, Paul was anointed, wasn't he <laughs> by the holy Spirit and uh and and so even though uh, we we battle different mindsets come on come on up Phil if you would we we battle different mindsets than they had back in that you know we don't have we i mean we actually do have modern day Epicureans and stoics and and uh Gnostics and things like that, just in, they just come in, they're di- packaged it differently is all. That's all. That's all that happens. People have believed that similarly throughout the centuries They ju- that it's just packaged a little differently, you know, and uh, and, and we're familiar with atheists and agnothists and all that. We battle different kind of mindsets today in, in one sense, but nevertheless, we still have to deal with um, the wisdom of man or, the, the you know, although the wisdom of man is what to God, foolishness so not very impressive but anyway we have to deal with it uh, with with man's wisdom and we have to deal with this oppositional belief systems uh, belief systems that are opposed to the message of jesus but we don't want to just argue you know we want to keep our focus on the gospel of jesus because it is the power of god for the salvation of all who believe let's stand together please One thing is, I want to. If if anybody, um, we want to always have a time. If you're, if you're, uh, if you're sick in any way, um, um, you know, we want to be able to pray for you. And uh, and if you're struggling mentally or emotionally or anything like that, we want to, we want to pray for you as well. So feel free to ask people to pray for you after. Don't go, don't go without. Uh, don't go on your way. I mean, I encourage people if you got a, you know, we take a risk here by saying if you, you know, you got a sore throat or, huh, you know, headache or, you know, you got things like that where well, we can't catch a headache, but I mean the sore throat or whatever. If you're throwing up, stay home. But, you know, if, but if you got stuff that you can make it, come because we, we, we like to pray, we like to pray for you for that kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, we'll do that before and after the service and stuff. If you're sick, come early and we'll pray for you. Right, Alvin? Thank you. <clears throat> what, I'd like to, but what I'd like to pray over you for is what I, what I see in Paul is he was able to relate to his culture. You see, he saw something that was going on. He saw idolatry. He wasn't happy with it, but he used what he saw and he spoke the language that they were, that they could understand, and I want I want to pray that that God will begin to open. Maybe He has opened up your eyes some, but even more, you know, like, like let, me, let me tell you, when I got saved, okay, it was uh, in 1971 is when I got saved. So you know. Yeah, Jesus movement was starting, but it was still part of the the sex, drugs, and rock and roll era. It was still part of those '70s. It was, and so when we got saved, you know, what would, did we say to people? Hey, I I I, I want to share with you how to get high on Jesus. Well, the old people didn't like that. That's offensive. Getting high. You're talking about drugs. You're equating getting high on drugs and getting high on Jesus. But see, it reached people. They understood what you're talking about. There's like you were saying. Oh, you haven't experienced anything yet until you experience Jesus. There's a high that you're going to... Ne- but what it did is it caught people's attention, you know, when we'd share and say something about getting high on Jesus. So, yeah, there was always an explanation. You didn't just drop it. But it was a way in, just like Paul said, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God you worship. And then he went off into it, you know? The, the, the thing that um, I've done rather recently was influenced by Doug Addison, some of you know, um, where, because uh, he does this thing with tattoos, you know, and so wh- I I just took it my own way because I'm I don't th- I'm not as bold as Doug Addison, but what I've tried to do when I when I remember and when I see a, a somebody had that has a tattoo, um, you know I mean I'm pe- people on the street in the store or whatever, I'll, I'll I'll say hey I I'm looking at you Barbara talking about your tattoo, <laughs> 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 I better go over here to somebody else. Uh, uh, I I say, hey! I really like your tattoo. Do you know people? People are attached to their tattoos, and I and you know honestly, I'm not a big tattoo fan. But so, but I'm not lying. I mean, I, I really like your tattoo. And they always like smile and whatever. How did you come by that? How did you? What made you get that one? And then they, and now, while they're telling me, because they want to talk about their tattoo, trust me, nobody's ever said, mind your own business. <laughs> no, ever. So they're telling me about the tattoo. I've never met them. They're telling me about the tattoo. I'm praying and asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, is there anything that you'd like to say in this? Now, I have to admit, I've never gotten anything yet, but I'm going to still do it until I do, Okay. So I don't have any success stories. I'm just saying it's a cool entry (laughs) into being culturally relevant. It's another way. And so I'm just going to pray that the Lord would give you guys some other ways, maybe that way, but maybe there's other ways. I know there's other ways. That's, That's the creativity of the Holy Spirit. That's taking something that's going on today that people have judged and ostracized many people because of tattoos. That's something that God can use to his glory. So, Father, I pray for a release of creativity among your people that regardless of our age, Lord, you are able to work in our lives through us and touch the people that we rub shoulders with every day through creative ways. And so, Lord, we recognize that the gospel of Jesus is Main Street. It's the foundation. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is our message. And yet, Lord, you can use us through and in bringing that message in ways that we've perhaps never dreamed. And so I ask, God, that you would open our hearts and minds, that cause us to be willing to touch lives of people around us in creative ways. Give us, give us dreams, Lord. I pray for dreams and, and, and revelation. And God, that you would speak to us. And as we see people, maybe it's going to come that way. Maybe when we see some somebody, you're going to give us just that, that little thing that we need to say, that little word, that little question. And so, Lord, I pray blessing upon your people, blessing upon their their ears to hear you and to see what you're doing. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. Open our eyes to see what you're doing, Lord.